Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Welcome back, everybody, everyone watching online, church at home groups, folks down at Hohog. excited that you're here, and we're going to continue in our series on the life of Jesus called The Story of Jesus in the Book of Mark. And so for the last couple of weeks, we have been in the last seven days of Jesus's life, and he's been going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. They're trying to trap him, and he's coming back at them and telling everybody, you know, what bad leaders they are. Uh, and last week, he, he, he pointed out that these guys are addicted to the, their love of money. They're addicted to their, their position and their ego, and they're addicted to their power to the point that they can't even recognize the Son of God standing in front of them. Now, this week, Jesus takes it a, another step further. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, uh, and we're going to just, we only have a few verses this week. It's, it's verse, we're going to start in verse 41, and this may be a familiar passage to you, but here's what it says. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were, or where the offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, about 50 cents in our money. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, it doesn't matter how much these people put in, they're not even going to miss it, the rich people. They're not even going to miss what they put in, but she actually sacrificed to put in what she put in. And in God's eyes, that's more money than they put in. It's, it's more of a, an act of worship than what these people who gave out of their excess put in. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Uh, some of you are thinking, uh-oh, it's the money talk, right? The pastors are going to talk about money, and them churches, all they're after is your money. They just try and get everybody's money. And why are churches so consumed and uh, obsessed with money? Uh, and if that's you, I have great sympathy for you because I've seen it handled badly in the past too. I've seen churches and, 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 and television evangelists, you know, ma- manipulate people and hype up this topic and make promises that you can get rich quick. You send me a hundred dollars, you'll have a thousand in a week. And you know, you know what? I'm a pastor and that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. That's like, ooh, that was not God's intention and I hate hype and I hate manipulation and we just don't do that here. So what I want to ask you to do is trust me a little bit, even if you don't know me, trust me a little bit and hang with me. Don't tune me out on this sermon. This is a very important sermon. Now, there are others in the crowd that are going, Preach it, pastor. Oh, come on. The money talk. I love that because you've learned how to be generous. And once you learn to be generous, you will love to be generous. Once you learn to tithe, you will love to tithe. People who are generous love being generous. The hard part is getting from not being generous to getting to being generous. And then the beautiful part is what happens 
on that journey. You know, when we ask the question, why does the church talk about money so much? If you hang around here for a while, one of the things you'll realize pretty quickly is that we don't. We don't talk about money much at all. Um, In fact, Jesus, if he were running the church, well, I guess Jesus kind of is running the church, but if he were preaching every week to keep up with the amount that money and, 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 uh, stewardship and dealing with our stuff showed up in his teaching, I'd have to preach on, I'd have to preach a sermon a month on it. We don't preach that much. Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about faith, than he did about prayer, than he did about love, than he did about forgiveness. 16 of the 38 parables in the, in the gospels deal with money and possessions and stewardship. 10% of the gospel verses deal with the topic. 25% of the words of Jesus, the red words in the New Testament, deal with this topic, and over 2,000 verses throughout the Bible address money, tithing, and possessions. And so the question isn't, why does the church always talk about this? The question is, why was Jesus so obsessed with this topic? And, you know, maybe it was just because Jesus wanted to get rich. But if that were the case, it didn't work very well. Right? Jesus was the one who said that, you know, even a fox has a den where he can go home to, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He was, he was essentially homeless. He was a, a traveler. He was born in a manger. And when he died, the, uh, the Roman soldiers, all they had to, uh, to split up between them was a, a tunic. That's all he had at his death. It, it didn't work if he wanted to get rich. He certainly didn't need it, right? I mean, he's the son of God. He, he fed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. He could make food. He could calm storms. He could raise the dead. He could certainly conjure up as much money as he would ever need. And his father, as the, as the Bible says, has the cattle on a thousand hills, uh, which literally means, you know, interpreted uh, through the culture into t- today, God owns everything. That's what that, that passage means. God, God has it all. Jesus didn't need money. Um, some people think well, maybe he talked about it a lot because he wants all of his followers to be, to be poor. But I don't think that's the case either. Jesus, in his day and throughout the ages, have had followers who are very wealthy, um, who are very devoted and committed to following him. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said this. He said, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus, that's not, those aren't the words of somebody who wants everybody to be poor. Jesus, Jesus on, on several occasions, indicated it's, it's with, with the, the um, amount of our generosity that we, we receive. The, 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 the Apostle Paul talked about sowing seed, and we don't sow sparingly or we reap sparingly. That, there's an agricultural rever- reference. We th- you know, if you have seed and you're going to plant a field, if you hold back seed because you want to hold on to it, you're not going to get much in the harvest. But if you plant the seed, a lot comes back. And this is a principle of sowing and reaping. And Jesus hits this this principle a lot, and he he talks about it right here. But this is the important thing to, to remember with all of this. Jesus is not 
or I'm sorry, generosity is not about what God wants from you. It's what he wants for you. Let me say that again. Generosity is not about what God wants from you. It's what he wants for you. He wants to do something inside of you that will revolutionize your life if you'll trust him enough to cooperate with him. That's what this is about. This is not about him getting your money or the church getting your money or anything else. And if we've learned anything about following Jesus, it's kind of a counterintuitive and very radical endeavor, right? Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross and follow him. We have to die to ourselves. And he calls us to radical and complete surrender, not because he's a killjoy, but because he wants us to live the best possible life. And he knows the pathway to the best possible life. He knows that in following him completely, that's where freedom is found in here. That's where life in all of its fullness is found. But there are trappings in our world, money being one of them, that we are tempted to hold on to that will hold us back from that. You know, really, when you step back a few steps and you look at the Christian faith, Christians are called to live radically different than the rest of our world, aren't they? In the, in the area of morality, we are called to do the right thing, even if it hurts, even if it costs us, do the right thing. And ultimately, it won't end up costing us. It might cost us in the moment, but in the big picture, God blesses our socks off for that. In the area of sexuality, we don't just give ourselves to our appetites, right? We express the gift of, of, sexual, of our sexuality and our, and, our, and our sex life in the context and in the boundaries that God designed for it to be enjoyed in, not just willy-nilly, whatever, with whoever, whenever, as our culture says. But if we do that, we get to experience the best sex. And the research, I don't have time to do a sex talk, but the research points that out. Jesus calls us to radically forgive people, to forgive the people who hurt us, to pray for our enemies, to not hold on to bitterness and seek revenge. And it's for our own good because ultimately that enables our hearts to be free and enables our Father to forgive our sins. But that's radically different from our world. He calls us to radically serve. You know, in in Jesus' era, the Romans, a Roman soldier could grab somebody and say, you have to carry my pack for me. Uh, but they could only, by law, make them carry it one mile. And Jesus said, so if they do that to you, you carry it two miles. Carry it, radically serve them, kill them with kindness, show them God's love. Well, that's counterintuitive, right? That's, that's a radical surrender. That's trusting Jesus enough to do what he says. And ultimately, in all of these things, they work out for our blessing, our freedom, and our benefit. And the same thing is true with generosity. Why are money and possessions such a big deal to Jesus? Well, that's what I want to unpack today. I, I, I think we have to understand the why behind what Jesus calls us to. And so if you have your notebook or a travel journal, pull that out. I want you to write some of these things down. The, the first one is this. Why are money and possessions such a big deal to Jesus? Number one, he wants you to be free. You know, the greatest fear or the greatest source of fear for most people 
is the fear of not having enough. It's, it's uh, the lack of enough to do life. There, there is a fear that is kind of universal. And when we live our life under fear, we are not free. We make decisions that are not the best decisions. The other side of that equation is if it's not a source of fear for you, for other folks, it's the, their greatest source of hope. It's what they place their faith in. You know, I, I can buy something else or it can help secure my future, right? I can weather a storm or, or you know, my favorite, it can buy me a boat, you know? Um, money can buy me a boat and I like boats or I like whatever it is that you like. Now, I personally, I personally would much rather have a friend with a boat than have a boat myself, but it could buy me a truck to pull one and I do like trucks. So, you know, but we kind of find our hope in, that next thing that we can buy, or that next, you know, where I can secure this, or I can make sure that this is okay. And so our hope is in our stuff instead of God, or our fear is in the lack of stuff. And that is not freedom. Freedom, freedom is contentment. Freedom is faith, knowing that God's got you no matter what, and not really worrying about it, not walking around with fear in your life. And, 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 and contentment is powerful. You know, an, another thing does not fulfill you. And I, 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 have, I have some friends who have lots of things, and they're constantly buying more and more things. And it's funny, it's the, the, the more things they buy, the shorter the period of time that that thing seems to offer any sense of contentment. And they need to go buy another thing. It's an addiction. God wants your heart free, free from fear so that you can enjoy this life and the next and free from the love of stuff because that will wreck you as well. You see, giving isn't about the church. It's about what changes in us as money goes from our master to our servant. And money is an excellent servant. There are all kinds of amazing things you can do with money, all kinds of good that you can do with money. But it is a horrible master. It will wreck your life if you live in fear of not having enough or with your hope in what you could have or do have. He wants your freedom. Number two, he wants your heart. Money is the number one idol of the human heart, hands down. Why did Jesus talk so much about this more than anything else? Because it is the number one idol of the human heart. It is the number one thing, the number one competitor with God for first place in our lives. It is. Idols kill our walk with Jesus. Idols kill our walk with Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 24 said this, he said, no one can serve two masters. We read this last week. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you can put other things in there. You can say you can't serve both God and your ego. You can't serve both God and your power. You know, you, all the things that we talked about last week, well, you can insert those, but God or Jesus nails money. He dials in on money because this is the number one, the number one competitor. 
And guys, the love of money or the fear of not having enough will rule your heart and it will make you neurotic. It will rob from you the fullness of life and it will divert your heart away from God and onto things that will never satisfy. And it is an addiction. It's insatiable. You go talk to somebody who makes $40,000 a year and someone who makes $400,000 a year and you ask them, how much more do you need to be comfortable or okay or to have what you want? And both will say just a little bit more. It's universal. Go talk to somebody who makes $400 million, just a little bit more. Because it is an insatiable appetite. There isn't ever quite enough. And the more you get, the more you need. And then you get some more and you need some more. And you lose your soul in the process. Guys, this is why it is hard. Jesus, this is why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the temptation is once we get some, we want some more. And we want some more. And we want some more. And all of a sudden, we trade what is really important in this life for another hit of money. And if you don't put it in its place, it will become your God. Jesus knew this. This is part of why he talks so much about it. He wants our hearts. Matthew 6, verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, this is Jesus speaking, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow our money. And as we invest in God's kingdom, our hearts follow. This is a practical, tangible, for those of us that are like, you know, like give me something tangible to do. This is a tangible way to lead your heart towards God. You know, at the end of the day, there are three ways to go through this life. Living for yourself. The love of, of money and what you can get and possessions and all that. I'm living for me, and that will make you neurotic and, and eventually miserable. The second way is living for somebody else. And that's, we call that codependency. We think another person might fill the empty in our soul, and so we spend our, our time and our devotion, and we end up worshiping another person. And that's neurotic and unhealthy, and um, you know, you've seen it before, and if you're living in it, maybe you haven't seen it, but it's not healthy. It's not life in all of its fullness. But the third way is living for God. And generosity is the X factor in moving your heart from you to Him. Generosity breaks the chains in our heart and sets us free to follow Him and brings our heart into alignment with Him. All right, the third thing, the third reason I believe Jesus talks so much about this is that you need a purpose that's bigger than you. You were wired and designed and created to need a purpose that is bigger than you. You need to be a part of something that's making a difference. We all do. Or otherwise, we just end up going through the motions. And guys, there is a lot of good to be done in this, in this, neighbor, in this uh, community and in this world. And Jesus said, you're the plan. You are. And I am. 
Like we are the ones that are supposed to be bringing that good to bear in our world. In Matthew 28, Jesus said this. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He calls his disciples together and says, look, I'm giving you a purpose that's bigger than you. I want you to take this good news of the gospel to everyone around the world. You're on, you're it. This is your purpose. There are people all over the globe who need to know that God loves them, that need to know that there is life in its fullness to be lived in this world, and there is a life in the next world, and I died for them. Go spread the good news. Go save people. Go change the world, guys. And it is the same purpose He has given to every one of us that is a follower of Him. There is a gospel to spread. There are lives to save and eternities to change. There are problems to be solved. There is poverty to be alleviated in Jesus' name. You need a profound purpose bigger than you, and Jesus gave it to us. It's His kingdom, and we get to be a part of that, and that is for you. That's not something He wants from you. That is the adventure that he has given you to live, the purpose that he has given you to live for. Fourth reason I believe Jesus talks so much about this is that he wants your joy. He wants your joy. The happiest people on the planet are the most generous people on the planet. And I think some of the freest people on the planet are some of the most generous people on the planet. And the research bears this out. People who are generous tend to, be, uh, tend to not deal with mental health issues. They tend to be happier, generally speaking. They, they tend to be freer because they're not holding tight to what they have, but they're sharing it with people, and there's just this general happiness. And in fact, one of the reasons, and I think this is only one of the reasons they believe this is true, is because when you are generous, when you give... Your body releases feel-good hormones, dopamine, uh, um, oh, endorphins, a variety of other things, and um, oxytocin, and it's powerful. In in fact, it's they've concluded it's more powerful than taking antidepressants. It's more powerful at changing your mood and making you happy than antidepressants. It's the most fun you can have with money, is to be generous with it. And, um, and I think God wants us to be happy. And I think that's only part of the equation of why it brings joy. It's just the way we were wired. The most fun you can have with money is being generous. And Jesus wants your joy. Fifth, he wants to grow your faith. He wants to grow your faith. I think for a lot of people, we need a practical, we need to see something like God is real, you know? I mean, um, and, and, and generosity is a powerful way to see that. I know it has been in my life. It, it, in the Old Testament, God had this arrangement with the Israelites 
where going all the way back to Abraham, where they would bring him what was called a tithe. It's it's the first ten percent of their their increase, and they were agrarian, so it might be you know the grain they grew or their best animal uh, or or whatever it is. And if they lived far away, they would bring this to the temple. And if they lived far away, uh, they would sell that and they would bring money to the temple. But it was the first 10%, not the leftovers, not the scraps, but the first 10%. And they would bring that to God's temple. All right? And this was the arrangement they had with God. And in and Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we find that they had slacked off on that. They were not bringing it to God to uh, God's temple, and or they were bringing like the leftovers or the kind of the defective animals, and God was getting a little bit upset with this because this was not the arrangement. And this is what, what Malachi says, speaking for the Lord, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it all. This is the only place in the Bible God says, test me. And in fact, Jesus says, we're not supposed to test the Lord our God. But God says, on this particular topic, we can test him. And it's very practical. If we choose to be generous, if we choose to to tithe and bring him that tithe, he's going to bless us. Now, I'm not going to tell you that if you give $100, he's going to give you $1,000 back. I'm not going to say that. Sometimes the blessing is is financial, and I've seen that happen in my own life and other people's lives, but sometimes it's, it's, it's something a little more intangible, but it's a blessing, and it is undeniable. God blesses us, and when we test him, we see his his blessing now. As a guy, when I was when I um, when Christy and I got married, I had been living in one way, shape, or form under my parents' care um, up to that point, and I had tithed since I was 11 years old and had gotten a paper route. So my parents taught me this at a young age. But when we got married, the reality of the fact that it was all on me to provide, or at least it felt that way. Uh, the safety net was gone. Tithing was kind of scary. And I was like, I don't know, can I trust God on this? But Christy and I talked about it. We prayed about it. We decided we would tithe, uh, even though we were both making a pretty meager income. And then after a while, it was one meager income. And here's what I will tell you. We never, ever didn't have what we needed. And we saw God's blessing in ways that just blew me away to the point within a year or so, I wasn't afraid anymore. I started, my faith was small. Within a very short period of time, my faith was large. And now, 21 years later, I can look back at where I am now, and I can see God's provision and blessing every step of the way, and I would never not do this. Because in obeying God and trusting Him, I, you know, I see Him come through. And I can see the numbers on paper, and I'm like, yeah, all right, yeah, He comes through. Test me in this. And it is a practical way to build your faith. The sixth reason I think He talks so much about this is He wants your light to shine. This ties into the whole idea of a purpose that's bigger than you, but He wants you to live the adventure He wants you to experience the joy of of being generous and making a difference and changing people's lives. 
Jesus was the light of the world and is the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on the hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He wants you in the game. He wants you experiencing the joy and the life and the freedom and the blessing of of being the blessing. It's not something God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. So the question is, then, how do we do this? How do we, practically, how do you put this into practice in, in your life? Because it's one thing to having this general concept of, all right, be generous. You know, that's kind of ambiguous. Well, God gives us some, uh, some tracks to run on with this, and I want to break that down for us. But I want to say before I get into all of that, if you're just checking out Jesus, um, the goal of this ser- sermon is not to get more money for you for the church. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're just checking things out and you're not convinced, don't give. I mean, you can if you want. You can test him in this and see how that goes. But, but, but please understand, that is not the point. You know, we're, we're covering our bills. Everything is good. We don't, need, we don't need money to make it through another month. That is not what this message is about. This isn't fundraising. This is discipleship. This is idol killing is what this is about. So that being said, there's two kinds of giving. One is intentional and disciplined giving. So we make a decision, we discipline it into our lives, we make it happen. That is biblical. God gives us rails to run on on that. The second is spontaneous giving, and we'll get to that in a moment. But let's talk about intentional discipline giving first. Now, in every area of life, intentionality and discipline gets results, right? So, I, you know, if we respond emotionally, which we all, well, not all of us, but some of us do in, in January, I'm joining the gym. I'm going to go every day and I'm going to push hard and I'll, every day I'll, I'll be there. And we last about a week and a half until we wear ourselves out. And then, you know, by February, we don't go to the gym anymore. I think by, by June, 99% of the people who sign up for a gym membership in, in January are gone, right? That doesn't work. But if I would go to the gym and make it a plan and build it into my calendar and, and, and go maybe two, three times a week, and 12 months later, and I kept consistent with that, I would look in the mirror and I would go, man, I'm looking pretty good, right? I'm making progress. Um, now, I'm not going to do that because I don't want, like going to the gym, but we make, the dis- discipline makes progress. Right? We get to where we're going. It's much more powerful than just uh, emotionally responding. You know, one of the things I've noticed, um, one of the things I try to do at least a few times a week is get out and go for a walk. And I live on this hill. So I walk down the hill and up the other hill on the other side. And it's really, really steep. I mean, really steep. So I'll, I'll do that twice past my house. And, and um, it takes me a little under an hour to, to do that. 
Um, but when I first started, I was huffing and puffing, and I thought I was going to die by the time I got to the top of the hill. And I just noticed yesterday, I'm just like, I'm just walking up the hill. I got to the top. I'm like, all right, turn around, go back down the other side. And, and so just being, don't do it every day, but being consistent with it and being disciplined with it, I'm seeing the progress. And I'm not where I was. I'm getting better as I go. Well, that's what tithing is all about. And as I said, tithing is taking the first 10% of what God has blessed us with, acknowledging that all of it belongs to Him. And He asks for that first 10% back as an act of worship and sacrifice and, a, and a, as a way to keep our hearts in the right place when it comes to Him and life and everything else. So how do we do that? Well, it's really pretty simple. First, with any discipline, you have to choose that that's what you're going to do. So you choose ahead of time, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to take the first 10%, not the leftovers, the first 10%. That goes to God. Everything else that's left, God will guide me with uh, on how to live with it. The second thing that you have to do then is actually adjust your lifestyle to make that work. Making the decision does not necessarily make it work. You have to make some adjustments you might have to reduce your lifestyle to be able to start giving 10%. You're like, well, that's painful. I can't do that. I mean, that, that could hurt. Well, let's think back to the widow in our story today. Her gift was more in the eyes of God because it was a sacrifice, because she would rearrange her lifestyle to be able to give that. If it's just the leftovers or out of our extra, that's not doing a whole lot in our heart, right? Make the sacrifice. It's part of our worship. And then the third thing is this, set up a system. Set up a system. For the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they had the festival calendar. And so they would go to Jerusalem. It was on the calendar, and their whole society would stop, and they would go to these religious festivals in Jerusalem, and they would bring their, their tithes and their offerings. And so it was automatic for them. It was built into their schedule. We need to do the same thing. Now, we don't have a, a festival schedule, um, but we do uh, come to church on a regular basis, hopefully. Uh, and then there, there is um, what, what I found absolutely helpful for, for our family is we just set up a, our checking account automatically sends a check in uh, every week. And uh, you can set that up at your bank. You can set that up at the, on the church website. But it automatically comes out. And so if you make uh, a consistent amount of money that's really easy to figure out on the front end, set up the system and then it just keeps you on track. And it has made all the difference in the world for us. Would not do, would not do without it, would not not tithe. And as I talk to tithers, the people on the front end that were like, yeah, we're getting the money talk. Those are the people who've discovered the blessing in doing this. And the cool thing about it is that tithing makes no mathematical sense whatsoever. I mean, mathematically, 100 minus 10 equals less, right? For those of you who are really good at math, it's 90. It's less, right? But in God's economy, like in so many other areas of God's economy, 
at least a huge blessing. 100 minus 10 equals plenty. 100 minus 10 equals more than enough. It equals freedom and joy and purpose and peace and provision and faith. It changes our hearts. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we have everything we need to continue to live open-handed, generous, joy-filled, God-focused, kingdom-centered lives. And God's economy works this way. He said, Jesus said, look, if you want to be first, you want to be great in the kingdom, go to the end of the line, make yourself last, and God will bring you to the front of the line. And you'll get further that way than if you elbow and muscle and try and work your way to the front of the line. He said, look, if you will take one of the seven days out of the week that I've given you, and you will refuse to work but rest and worship while all the, world, the cultures around you are toiling and trying to just make it, make it working seven days a week, you will have more in six days than you would have ever had in seven. It doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't work, and yet it does. My favorite example of that is Chick-fil-A. I always refer to that. My brother works for Chick-fil-A, so I kind of know a little bit about what goes on there. Uh, but their average store makes two and a half times what your average McDonald's store makes. And McDonald's is open seven days a week, and many other stores are open 24 hours a day. Chick-fil-A is open six days a week, and they rest on the seventh, two and a half times. See, that's how God's economy works. When we honor what he gives us to do, he takes us further with less. Well, one thing that we do, you might be sitting here going, well, I should really do that. And I would challenge you and encourage you to begin to tithe, to make that decision, to arrange your lifestyle, and then to, uh, and then to set up the system and make it happen. Um, and I want to I encourage you to do that. And maybe you're a little tentative about it. And God said, test me in this. So here's what, here's what I'm going to do. Do this every once in a while. We'll do it right now. I'm going to do what I call a tithe challenge, and I want to challenge you to give it a try. You can, uh, you can uh, set it up online or, or, or however, but I want to challenge you to tithe. First 10% goes to God. And do it for three months. And at the end of that three months, if you are like, Chris, you're full of it, there's no blessing in this, I don't see God in my life, whatever, I'm not promising you your bank account's going to be bigger. It might be, it might not be, but you're, you're going to see God move in your life in ways you hadn't seen before. If that isn't the case, you come back to me and I will give you every penny back. Complete refund in three months. It's a tithe challenge. Try it. Jesus, or God says, test me in this test him. All right, the second kind of giving is, we, first we have the, the disciplined, intentional giving. That's important. That's biblical. That kind of prepares us for the second kind of giving, which is spontaneous. These are pop-up needs. You know, you're at the grocery store and the person in front of you, their credit card's declined and you can tell they need help. And so you just buy their groceries for them, right? Or you pay for the, the meal for the person behind you at the drive-thru. Or God puts someone on your heart and you're like, yeah, I need to, need to, to, to do something for that person. Uh, my friend Bill, years ago, decided that he was going to tithe. And uh, he was not... 
he and his wife were living on one income. It was a small income. I mean, paycheck to paycheck, but they were like, we're going to do this. And so they began to tithe and literally it was tight. I mean, they were like, I don't know. And there were points where they're like, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills this month early on. And um, one time they were, actually it was more than one time, but the first time they were sitting out on the, on the porch and there's a flower pot by the window and they were having this, we're short on money conversation. And um, he looked in the flower pot and there was all this cash in the flower pot. He was like, where did this come from? And it was exactly what they needed to get through the month. And so, and he, as he told, tells the story, he's like, he's like, every time we need money, I just go to the flower pot and there's cash in there. And he's like, this is crazy. Well, I don't think there's a cash angel. Okay. I don't, I, I just don't think that angels don't really carry cash. They can mostly credit cards. And, and so, but somebody put on, or God put on somebody's heart to bless bill. And that's how they did it. They just kind of secretly stuffed it in the flower pot. And you know what? Bill always had what he needed. And it wasn't too long until Bill was doing great on the financial side of things. Um, but he went through this period of, of seeing God come through. And if somebody else God speaking to somebody else and, and, and meeting his need in the midst of it. And it was just, it's just a cool story. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people in church have told me the story of like, I was sitting in church and God said, you see that person over there? Give them everything in your wallet. And, and that happens all the time. Maybe that'll happen to you today. A few years ago, well, more than a few years ago, like 13, 14 years ago, uh, the free wheelchair mission was coming through Wheeling, and they spoke at our Saturday night service um, and trying to raise money. And on Sunday morning, we came in, and John Raz, who was the pastor at the time, looked at me and said, I think we're supposed to give their, their pitch and show their slides and invite the church to give. And so we did. And the church, in, in, in a weekend, raised dollars to get people off the ground and into wheelchairs, people who would never, ever have a chance to get a wheelchair. It was the coolest moment. I mean, it was like it opened up doors for us in Vietnam, and, uh, and, and God has uses it that moment to this day, that moment of spontaneous, like, man, my heart was moved, the church's heart was moved. We did that together. And those spontaneous giving opportunities are fantastic. And I encourage you to look for them and engage in them. That generosity is fantastic. And coming up in November, as we do every year, we're going to be doing our Be the Blessing initiative, and we pick a handful of projects that bless people in our community and in our world, and I am so fired up. We got some big, hairy, audacious goals this year, and the projects are phenomenal. You're going to love them. We'll be rolling those out here in a few weeks, but, but it's another opportunity to be generous, that's spontaneous generosity. So we've got disciplined, intentional generosity, and we've got spontaneous generosity. And it's not one or the other, it's both and. And the more we can be consistent with our disciplined generosity, the more God enables us to engage in the spontaneous generosity. And it just becomes this, this engine of generosity and kindness and fun and spreading the gospel, and God will blow your mind. It's not something he wants from you. 
It's something that he wants for you. It's the life that you really want to live. But getting from this place where money is either an addiction or a fear to this place where my heart is free and I'm a generous person requires you to take the steps to get there. And God will meet you in it. And once you learn to be generous, you will love being generous. But as long as you're holding tightly to your stuff, you'll never be free You'll never experience the life you were created to live. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have a plan for us, that you gave us rails to run on, and, and, and Lord, that you didn't make this ambiguous or difficult. And thank you that in the midst of our obedience, you meet us and we, our faith grows and our hearts grow free. And I pray for that freedom. I pray for that joy. I pray for that life in all of its fullness. I pray for that purpose for every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.